Lord, we are honored to be your sons and daughters. Would you sing that out? We are your sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Would you sing it out today? That you're coming before your king. And you're not coming empty-handed. You're coming with an offering. Come on, because God has given you the nations. He said, ask and he'll give them to you as an inheritance to give back to him. One more time, we are your sons and daughters. We are your representatives, your king's kids. We come before you, Jesus, receiving an impartation. We're bringing the nations. Now, just in an attitude of prayer, kingdom come. Your kingdom come. As an attitude of prayer, as a belief that Jesus' prayer will come true. Would you sing it out today? Your kingdom come. job in Grant Park today. Your kingdom, your kingdom come, in every neighborhood, in every family. One more time and then we're going to shout amen. Your kingdom come. in the house of God. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. How many believe the Lord's prayer will be answered? We will see God's kingdom come. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to talk today about possessing the land or dying in the desert. It is up to you what you do. Somebody say, possess the land or die in the desert. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm thankful that you are here today. It's so good to see everybody. We love you and welcome you. We are in a place right now in our church where we are standing against the works of the devil and standing for the works of God. We are not ashamed. Are you ashamed today to be in church? I'm not ashamed, and be as safe and as comfortable as you need to be as we follow these guidelines. I want to thank you for your gifts to the church. I don't know about you, but I'm a neat freak, and the carpet was bothering me. We had been using the chiefs the cheap stuff, and after every winter, we would have to go through and cut out the patches that got done wrong, and so now we're taking it all off, and we're doing it right. We're getting the more pricier uh, carpet, but what's good about it is it comes in tiles, so if there's a boo-boo or an accident, we can just remove the tile instead of cutting out chunks that then lead to the vacuum cleaner getting up those little pieces, and then it's sucking up all the rest of it, so a little inside talk there, so it might seem a little bit much just for the carpet, but we're getting the good stuff that's easy to replace. Also, we used to have that stadium seating. It looked real cool as our church was smaller, but now that we're growing and trying to give you more space with COVID, we thought, let's just take it down, and it makes it more spacious, right? So a little bit uh, of a different look, but I hope you enjoy it. Can you hear me back there? 
back there, back there, even without the stadium, stadium seating. So hopefully you can still hear me. And then in the front, we're going to get this nice weathered wood just like this. So you won't slip on it, but it's going to look nice. Before we were using like a vinyl, so it was kind of like a sticky tape that looked like tile, it looked like flooring rather, but it really wasn't. And so we're doing that there. And then also the carpeting that we're getting will be in the children's area. And then Rudy, everybody say hi, Rudy. Rudy has requested another camera like this high-tech one there. If you notice, that one's pretty cool. It moves by itself. That one's more old school. So whenever we do the side shots or the differing shots, you don't see the same quality. And so he said, hey, man, can I get one like that back there? So there it is. And as you give, we'll spend it. Okay, you can trust us. We'll spend it on the right things. And if you don't want to give, that's okay because somebody else will give. And remember this, what you're using now, what you see in the church now, has already been given by others. Others. Isn't that amazing? And so if you do want to give and be a part of that, thank you, because now others get to appreciate what you have done. So when people say, oh, this is cool carpet because I just spilled a bunch of coffee here and it won't come out, we can say, yeah, we paid for this nice carpet like this. So we can just bloop, pull out a tile and put another one right there really easy instead of having a professional carpet guy have to come with an exact old knife and, and do all of that. So it's going to be awesome for our guests, and we're excited about that. Amen. Amen. Are you with me in Deuteronomy chapter 1? Somebody say, I'm there. And brother, can you give me a little bit more in the monitor, please? Thank you. Deuteronomy means deuter, second time, anomy, nomos. It's an abbreviation of the word law. This is the second re refutation, not refutation, but recitation of the law. God gave the law, just a little bit more as well. For some reason, it changed after we uh, stopped the music. Thank you. Uh, the Deuteronomy book, the book of Deuteronomy is here because it is a recalling again of everything that God had did with the people in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And we know Moses was the author of what we call the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five, the first five books of the Bible. And what's interesting now is Moses is going to start speaking in the first person. So as we scroll there to get there to Deuteronomy chapter one, I want I want you to look at your, your Bible. Moses is now going to almost give you his diary of everything that has taken place. Of course, Moses wasn't there at the beginning of creation and during the time of Abraham, but God gave him the inspiration to write in the oral history of the Jewish people. And now he starts in the book of Deuteronomy, the second time of the law, repeating to us all the things we know before. He says, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah opposite of Sophoth between Paran, Tophael, and Lebanon, Hezeroth, and Dizbahab. Now look at verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Harab to Kadesh Barnea by Mount Sair Road. So he starts off, and it's, it basically says, these are the words of Moses, and Moses just wants you to know right at the beginning that it only takes 11 days to go from Mount Harab, or Harab rather, to Kadesh Barnea. What does that teach us? that the journey of the Israelites from the place they received the Ten Commandments right after they were delivered from the Red Sea, uh, by the way of the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army, that was only supposed to take 11 days to get to the Promised Land. Everybody say 11 days. So Moses is starting off this talk going, hey guys, it was only supposed to take 11 days, just to remind you, and it's been a lot longer. Look at verse 3. In the what year? 
In the what year? Thank you. In the 40th year, he starts now to tell you the history of the Israelites. So this is at the end of the 40th year. So Moses is going to repeat to us everything that happened so that we can be reminded of the law of God so we can learn and not repeat the same mistakes. It was only supposed to take 11 days for the Israelites to go from where they were at receiving the Ten Commandments, being told that there was a promised land, to where the promised land was, 11 days, but it ended up taking 40 years. Let's figure out why. He begins to tell them about how God delivered them from all their enemies. Let's go to, excuse me, to verse 8. When we look at verse 8, he continues on and he says, When we were delivered from Egypt and the enemies of God were defeated where we were at, God said to them, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your, for, uh, your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the descendants after them. Somebody say, Go. Now, this is where you have to follow me on what's called an allegorical message. Most of you came from churches that all they did was preach allegorical messages. How many heard a message about you being David killing your Goliath? That was allegorical because you're not David and that's not Goliath. That's an allegorizing of the story. How many ever heard a, a, a story about Jonah in the belly of a whale and you were the one going through a hard time and God was going to spit you out? Or how many of you have ever heard a message where you were the woman with the issue of blood or you were the one that was blind? Isn't that something the preachers always want to make you the blind, deaf woman with the issue of blood? Why aren't we ever the one that's victorious, powerful in the stories of Jesus? I thought I'm supposed to be Jesus in the story, not the sick person all the time. That's a whole nother sermon, amen? You're you're supposed to now read it as a Christian, as a Christ follower, through the eyes of Jesus, not everybody that's busted and disgusted. Because at the end of the gospel, he said, now I give you that same power. But notice, but notice now I'm going to start applying this to the church. You see, the people of Israel had been delivered out of Egypt. That represents salvation. They had been brought to the mountain of Horeb where they saw the fire and the presence of God and they were cleansed. That represents sanctification. And then they were filled with the power of God. The Spirit of God was put upon them to defeat their enemies. That represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the people of Israel and what they went through, it represents to us being saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they are given a mission to go. What did Jesus say to us at the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 and onward? He said what? Go into all the world. And so you see now that there's a lesson for us as the church to the people of Israel. We can receive from them. And if we're not careful, we'll repeat the same mistakes they made and find ourselves in a 40-year journey that was only supposed to take 11 days. So he said to them, go and take possession of this land. Now go to verse 9. Moses then says that we weren't just going to do this willy-nilly, that there was going to be organization and how we were going to be as a people. The people of Israel with their children could have been as high as two or three million at that time. And so Moses realized that he could not take care of everybody. So in verse 13, he talks to the people. If you could scroll and keep up with me, please, good sir. In verse 13, he says, choose the wise, the understanding and respected men among your tribes to be judges, to be your leaders so that they can help me. 
Somebody say organization. Come on, somebody say leadership. See, God put that leadership on Moses, but Moses said, man, I can't take care of one, two, three million people. I need some help. So he went to those tribal leaders, and he said, tell me the ones among you who's the smartest. Tell me the one that's the most respected. Tell me the one that comes early, stays late, that's trustworthy. We're going to put them in charge of stuff, and they're going to be the ones that are going to be the decision makers. Go to verse 16, please. They're going to be under over hundreds and fifties, and, and they're going to be the ones that judge. See, sometimes people say, well, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. They forget there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges. And that wasn't God coming down making decisions all the time. And then they forget that there were judges in the people of Israel. What does that relate to in the church? When we see that the church, the people of God are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, put on mission, what do we see in the book of Acts? They start appointing elders and deacons. They start appointing leadership to organize the church. These were not just suggestions. These were commands. So as it went with your leaders is as it was going with God. If you said, I love God, but I don't follow my leaders, you weren't right with the God of the Bible. And some people say, well, that was just the Old Testament. Have you heard heard of Ananias and Sapphira dying in the New Testament church? Have you heard about hand him over to Satan in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that he'll be taught not to blaspheme anymore? They are still supposed to be judges and leaders and elders and deacons in the church organizing this. Now, we may not be your leaders. This may not be your tribe. So go find your tribe and stop making an excuse, okay? But if this is your tribe, we are honored to work and to serve with you because we know our authority comes from God. So the people of Israel, they were saved, sanctified. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, put on mission, organized. And now look at what it says at the end of verse 17. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Yeah, you'll see representatives bringing judgment. But remember, God's ultimately in charge. And if something's too hard, bring it to me or bring it to Moses. And I thank God that in the Israelite camp, though there were many leaders, there had to be a final leader, a final voice. There has to be a final voice in the family. There has to be a final voice in the church. And so by God's grace, I'm a final voice here, but I'm an elder serving among elders. And so I'm supposed to fear God and live holy and be accountable. Everybody say be accountable. Amen. So Moses says, hey, I'm here to help if it gets too hard for some of the leaders, but we're all going to do this together. Now look at verse 19. This is so amazing to me as we're talking about Sister Bevelyn and Edme that Bevy put this out last week and I was already planning on preaching this two weeks ago by God's grace because something happens right here. Those leaders were put in charge to be the leaders of God's movement. They were not there to get in the way of God's movement. They were there to lead the movement, not be sticks in the mud. Because look at what happens. Look at verse 21. They were told to go. And the Lord now says to them, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up. Somebody say go. That's the second time we've seen it. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But watch what the leaders do in verse 22. Then all of y'all came to me. Did some of them come or all of them come? All of y'all came to me. The leaders, the very ones that God had put in place to lead and to follow with Moses, to do the right thing, then came to Moses and said, <clears throat> excuse me, Moses, I don't think God would just want us to go into the land. 
that's not wise enough for us. We need time to process this move. We need to do it in excellence. How many know men's wisdom and man's ideas can clothe itself in wisdom and excellence, but it's really fear and rebellion. These that were supposed to be ready to go, take the land, head into that promised land and get it, now stood back and said to Moses, Moses, we don't trust God. I mean, we don't trust you. (laughs) We don't trust you, so let us, let us. We've been talking. We've been talking about you behind your back. And we all are coming to you now, Moses. And we've got a better idea than God's idea than to just march in there all irresponsible and all foolishly and messy. We've got a better idea. Let us send some men ahead to spy out the land for us. And bring back a report. We'll we'll tell you whether or not God is really good. We'll go and bring a report back. And we'll take the towns that we'll come to. You see, this is what happens all the time in the church. The good people. I'm not talking about satanic people. I'm not talking about people cheating on their wives and, and going out and stealing and getting arrested. I'm talking about good people in the church oftentimes come to the leadership or come to the senior leader like myself and say, I heard that you said we need to make some disciples and plant some churches and be ready to be missionaries around the world. But I just want to know if we can if we can just just put our toe in and just test this thing out first, Pastor, because we don't trust you quite yet. We, you know, we don't know yet if you're hearing from God. Can we spy this thing out yet? Because we're so much wiser than you who just wants us to go. Here Moses gets deceived by this because this is going to be at the very heart of why it's going to cost 40 years in the desert. He goes, well, okay, it sounds good to me. I mean, after all, you're still on my side. You, you somewhat trust me. You've asked me for per- permission. And, you know, it seems like that would make sense. I mean, we should go out there and get the lay of the land. We don't just want to be all willy-nilly about this and, and actually trust God in the matter. We need to have something to do with this and show how smart we are. So, yes, I'll let you go and do that. So the spies go and come back, one from each of the 12 tribes, and 10 come back with a negative word. Go to verse 26, please. But you were unwilling to go up. Why? Because when those 10 spies came back with a negative word, they went around and told everybody, oh my goodness, it, it's true that there's, there's grapes the size of watermelons, and yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but what Moses and, and the rest of the leaders haven't told you is that there's also giants there and people that are much stronger than us, and if we go there, we're all going to die. The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt just to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. We're all afraid. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large. The walls are up to the sky. Remember the walls of Jericho? How hard were those for God to bring down, by the way? 
Oh, but these walls, they're so tall. And we even saw the Anakites there. Ooh, everybody go, oh, oh, we saw the Anakites there. Oh, I know our pastor is saying let's go to Planned Parenthood, to plant churches, to start home Bible studies. Oh, but there's Antifa there. There's BLM there. There's LGBTQ there. Oh, the mayor's there. Scary stuff. We can't do the things of God. Oh, yeah, the harvest is great, but the, and the laborers are, are few. Oh, but there's just so many problems. Have you ever gotten to a place in your Christianity where you've been prophesied over a promise and now you don't know if it's true or not because it's taking a long time in coming? Have you been in your prayer time and wrote something in your journal and now you look back on it wondering what you were eating the night before because it seems so wild and crazy? Have you ever wrote down a dream and you thought it was from God but now you think it just was a dream? You know, it's just one of those dreams. Ha have you ever been to the place in your faith where you feel like because of all the problems, because of all the opposition, the promise is now blinded by the problems. That's where these people found themselves. And now look at what Moses says. Somebody say, possess the land or die in the desert. Look at verse 29. Moses, as a good preacher, as a good leader, he tells them, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Where's my little boy? I want him up here, please. He says, God carried you as a father carried his son. You're not that little anymore, boy. I'm going to bring up your little brother. But thank you. You're going to go back there. Go back there. You're awesome. Give it up for Lucas. He's great. He's just embarrassed. That's okay. Church kids, they'll get over it. If that's the worst thing he faces in life, he'll have a good life. Amen? He'll never know a dad that got drunk. He'll never know a dad that beat him. He'll never know a dad that cheated on his mom, but he might know a dad that embarrassed him every now and then, right? Look at what it says. Moses speaking says, you know... God carried you in his arms like a father carries his son. How many of you know right now, if you wanted to get to my son, you would have to pull him out of my dead hands? Let's be honest. How many know that? That you could not get to him without a fight. It would not be easy. And how many know God is a good father? This is literally the image that Moses uses. He says, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place, God has never been away from you. Let's give it up for little Titus. We love you, boy. <laughs> Whining and crying like that. You know better than that. Go on now. Come on, son. Embarrassing me like that. We're supposed to be strong men. Why are you doing it like that? I'll go run to mama. Go run to mama. I see you. I see you back there. God uses the greatest language of encouragement through the, the prophet Moses here. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. I'm going to fight for you. You've already seen me do this before. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to carry you if I have to. You might be afraid. Your knees might be buckling. Your, your words might come out stuttering, but I'll carry you if I have to. All you've got to do is trust me. 
I mean, I see God saying that to the church in America right now. Pastors like the one in California and other places around the country, because I know we're not the only ones. They're standing before their congregations going, congregations, I know this is scary. I know what's going on in the world is scary. We may not want to go through this. Our knees might be buckling. We might be stuttering and stammering. But God will carry us. Don't give up. I sense God is just asking his church not to give up. But verse 32, it says, in spite of all of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. See, can't you put yourself in those other 10 spies' position and walk in their shoes with all of the rest of Israel as they start getting scared? It's really in their mind the smartest thing to do. That's how they're justifying it. This is the smartest thing to do. Well, I mean, after all, we go to battle. Who's going to watch our kids? And if I die, who's going to take care of them? We don't even have an army out here. We haven't had the chance to get all the swords. How are we even going to fight them? We don't have catapults. We don't have the ladders. How are we going to ascend up that wall of Jericho? And so instead of praying... And asking the God who can split Red Seas what he was going to do to a wall. Instead of praying and asking and getting the plan, they just say, we're going to quit on this. But, 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 but we're not quitting on God. We're, not qu- we're still Israelites. We, we still are Jews. We still want to go on the Sabbath to the temple. We're still good people taking care of our neighbors. We'll still go to the conference, Moses, when you have it. But we're not going to trust God enough to bring us into that promise. We like the wilderness better. We like our comfort zone better. Have you ever been there before? It's tempting, isn't it? Because when you put yourself in their shoes, you know, when I was a young radical Christian at 18, 19 years old, it it didn't matter if I got arrested. It didn't matter if you beat me up or whatever. It's just me. But now I'm 43 years old, got six kids, a congregation to look out for. You know, you start to think to yourself, I got blessed. You know, I got a house now. I've got bills now. I've got people to take care of. I can't be throwing it all away just to go trust God in this. And after all, God wouldn't want me to do that. God wouldn't put me on this job and want me to lose it by preaching to my boss. God, God wouldn't want me to take a step of faith and put a Bible study in my house because my neighbors might get upset. Remember, remember the Amalekites are there. And then the Lord heard what they said, and he was angry. And then he swore. God swears. Come on, somebody. God then swears in his anger, and he says, No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to your ancestors except Caleb and Joshua. Do you have any idea how many people were just sentenced to die right there in the wilderness? They say on a low end, 750,000 adults now were going to die over the next 40 years, upwards to a million and a half. God said to them, the very thing that you were afraid that was going to happen, you were going to die, we're going to die, you're going to die now. And the very thing you were afraid to happen about something happening to your children, yes, it's going to happen to your children, but not the bad you thought, the good you thought. They're going to inherit the promised land while you die in the wilderness. Two, Joshua and Caleb were chosen out of the 750,000. Do you think God is playing around in this generation? 
If God had enough patience to say, okay, we're going to wait 40 years for all y'all to die, and I'm just going to bring two with me to the promised land. Do you think he's playing with a church like ours? Of course he's not. God is looking in our hearts to whether or not we're going to be faithful. And if we're not going to be faithful in Chicago, God says, I'll wait 40 years for another church to rise up. God will get his church. God will have his kingdom come. God will change the nations. God will bring his kingdom to the earth. It will happen with or without us. And so now you can almost sit back and, and, and get maybe that anger now they would have. Go to verse 37, please. Because now they said, well, you know, if our children are going to go and you're going to punish us, we might as well repent, say we're sorry, make it right, and go anyways. Keep on going. Go to verse 41. So they said to the Lord, we sin, God. We get it. We should have done better. We now know that you're a God of judgment and a God of power and mercy. So, Lord, just overlook it. Forget we did all of that. We learned our lesson Bring us in to the promised land. Go now to verse 43. You can read it all when you have the opportunity. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. So they thought they were just going to go there on their own now. But the Amorites who lived in that hill, in those hills, came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down. Somebody say, beat you down. The devil just beat them down. The enemy beat them down from Sayer all the way to Hamra. That's a beating right there. Now look at this, verse 45, one of the scariest verses you'll ever read in the Bible. You came back with your tail between your legs, wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. I am shocked at how often we as Christians think we're going to use forgiveness as a get-out-of-jail-free card, abuse the grace of God, and just come back and go, whoopsie, God, I want that plan back. But my friends, you got to understand, there are some things if you don't use, you lose. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, there are some promises that have expiration dates on them. So unlike that TV preacher who wants you to send in a 1,000 so you can get 10,000, I'm saying for some of y'all, if you don't do this right now, there is no way to buy your way out of it. And I'm going to tell you some stories just to be personal about it because it should put the fear of God in you. Were they still Jews? Absolutely. But they were Jews now living and dying in the wilderness. Were they forgiven for their mistakes? Could they go to paradise to be with Abraham? Absolutely. But they were never going to go to the promised land. You see, some of you are not understanding that the mistakes you're making now can cost you promises that you will never inherit that God intended you to inherit. Let's keep it real. When I first got saved, I thought I was ready to, to mingle. I was single and ready to mingle. And the Lord told me, no, you are not ready, son. And after about three years, I thought I was ready. And then he said, no, you're going to be a bachelor to the rapture. So I said, okay, Lord, you tell me when I'm ready. And one day I was in a prayer meeting, and there was a young lady in our church. I was the pastor. She was an intern. We were single. And I felt the Lord say, that was, that's your wife. I want to be honest with you. This might mess up some of your theology of the one, but track with me here. I believe I heard from God that day. 
I went to my pastor. The word was confirmed. She went and prayed. The word was confirmed. We started dating based on the word that I received. That is my wife. After about six months, she cheated on me, and the Lord said, she is no longer your wife. I know that messes up some of your theology, but I want to be very honest with you. There are promises you can lose and never get back. She never got to have me as her husband, and I was the best. God then gave me double for my trouble and gave me that hot mama back there. But I'm going to be very honest with you. She can repent, she can get married, she can have kids, she can experience a great life, but she will never experience the promise that God had intended for us. I still get to experience it with that wife right there because that's the one God gave me after her. And see, some of you always think, well, I just think I can never lose it. I can, no, no, you can lose it. There are some of you right now that are going to lose your 20s unless you give them to God. And you're going to be in your 30s weeping and hollering about how you lost your 20s. And God is going to say, I pay no attention to it. The judgment has come. When God makes a judgment, it is done. It is final. There are times he has relented, but very few in the Bible. And many of us are playing around with our callings. In other words, I've had friends cheat on their wives that were pastors and now want to reset their marriage and go back to the promises they had for their ministry. And I believe God is saying to many of them, you can go into ministry, you can do something good for me, but you will never have the promises that I intended for you and your first wife. It gets quiet when I preach like this. Because the televangelist has told you it's all going to be all right, but that's not true. There are things in the scripture you, you lose. And I believe right now, if we are not careful, we are going to lose the opportunity for revival. And here's some more personal stuff I got to put out to you. Because there are things God is doing in your character right now that are to prepare you for the promise that's ahead. And if you don't let him develop that in your character, the promise is going to pass you by. And you're going to wonder why you're still looking at a prayer journal that has not come to pass yet. I know there's going to be some patience in the process. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to discourage all of you here. But there are going to be some things. You're going to be on your dying deathbed and say, I thought I heard from God on this. What happened? And it's going to be because you missed the opportunity of that when it was in your opportunity of the, life, of the lifetime of the opportunity. You missed it in your life, and that opportunity has passed you by. Let me give you an example. I'll walk you through the first six months of my Christianity. I got close to two pastors, so close that one of them let me spend the night at his house. Another one I met because he did all-night prayer meetings. I was coming off of drugs, working pizza delivery, and I didn't know what to do with my time or my mind after 1 o'clock, you know. So I heard about this prayer meeting, and I went and met this pastor, and it was every Friday and Saturday all night long. We would pray. But when I started hanging out with this pastor, every time we'd go out for coffee, his administrator would be there. Every time, administrator, administrator. I didn't know any different. I'm like, hey, he likes his administrator. I'm only saved a few months. Eventually, he cheated on his wife with the administrator, lost his ministry. Do you think there were unfulfilled promises? Absolutely. What promises did he forfeit that day? But you see, in my character, I was being tested. Would I follow the way of these wicked, compromising spies, in other words, and let my heart be afraid and go, well, man, if the pastor can't live for Jesus and live holy, how in the world am I going to live holy? I've only been saved six months, and I still want to have sex. This guy's been married 20 years as a pastor and educated, and he can't hold back his urges. 
Maybe the promised land of purity is not for me. Maybe I'm supposed to live in wilderness. Hello, somebody. See, a lot of people want to live in wilderness. The other pastor that I met, like I said, he would let me spend the night at his house. He was a great man of God, fell into deep depression. And I do have compassion on pastors who suffer with depression. They should get help and counseling. But he turned it inwardly. He became an angry man, divorced his wife, and destroyed his marriage, destroyed his ministry. Remember, these were the first two pastors I met, and I wasn't even a year saved. And I'm trying to get free from depression. I'm trying to believe God that my mind can be sound. And yet I see this spy make me afraid and say, God doesn't have an answer for me. You might as well just stay right here in the wilderness. And then I had a young man that I used to feed the needy with. When I first got saved, I had memories of what my church used to do at certain times and events. And one of them that I remembered as a little kid is we would go out to the inner city and feed those who were hungry. So when I first got saved, God just put it in my heart to do that. I asked the pastor for permission, and he said, sure. So I started going to the inner city, taking my money that I worked at as a pizza delivery man and bought it from the food bank. You know, 10 cents a pound, $100 would get me 1,000 pounds of food, and I would give it away, and some kids kids from the youth group started hearing about it. They would come out with me. And I remember at one point, this young man, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was driving. We were coming back from Eden Green Project, and he was sitting right next to me. And he said, Joe, we got to talk. I said, about what? He said, man, about our friends that are coming to these outreaches. I said, what's up? He said, they don't want to come anymore. I said, why not? He said, before we go out, you preach to them, and you convict them, and they don't want to hear about that. They want to do like Brad, Angelina stuff, and just do some charity, sprinkle their little little charity in the hood, and then just go back home. You're preaching against pornography, them having sex with each other. You're making them feel more convicted than they do at the church. And then this is what I said to him. I said, man, I'm not going to change. We're not going to be hypocrites, and this is not just charity. We're going out there preaching the gospel, and we got to make sure that we're right. And I promise you, my friend, I could get him on the phone right now. He ended up going to Bible college and dropping out. I could get him on the phone right now. I'll remember what he said to me to the day I die because it was a pivotal moment in my life. He was a spy trying to make me afraid. He looked at me, and he said, what friends are we going to have then? If they leave, who's going to be your friend? And he started to cry because he was like a church kid. And he felt like he needed these friends to make him feel good about his Christianity. Listen to me, my friends. You don't need a middleman in Christianity. It's you and Jesus, ride or die. I looked back at him, and I said, I got my best friend. His name is Jesus. He promised he'll never leave me or forsake me. These friends can come and go, but I'm sticking with Jesus. And I know it's easy to clap now, but some of y'all still worried about your friends. My friend used to come to this church, or my friend on Facebook used to have my back, or my friend from that church over there used to support me, but now they're doing this, now they're doing that. I don't want to lose my friends. I'm happy an 18-year-old learned a lesson to tell you something right now. 
Jesus is the friend that sits closer than a brother. My friends, it's not personal. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not personal against you. It's just a personal relationship with Jesus. If I have to leave you to go to the promised land, I don't want to, but I'm still going to the promised land without you. Are you listening to me? Look at your neighbor and say, with or without you, I've got a promised land to possess because I'm not dying here in the wilderness. I thank God that day I didn't choose to follow pastors who were afraid. I thank God by his grace I didn't choose to follow backslidden friends because when a mayor put me on blast, I knew from times past that if God be for me, who could be against me? And when I saw people coming in and out this church, I knew just like in times past, Jesus is my friend and he'll bring me other friends. I'm never alone when I'm with Christ. I thank God that those days of 18, 19, 20 years old, there were things built up in my character so that when I went through the process, I could receive the promise. We all want the promise, but we don't want the process. And some of us are so easily deceived by the tears of whiners and complainers and losers. And we're so deceived by the fearful reports of those we once used to look up to. My friends, we need to hear the report of the Lord. And the report of the Lord is the land is good. Go and take it in Jesus' name. The report of the Lord is the nations. The nations are ready to be harvested. Start that Bible study in your house. Start coming to the evangelism. Stop being afraid of being doxxed. Start telling your coworkers about a church that's open during COVID. Start being bold on Facebook and social media. Stop being afraid because if we let this moment pass us by, we will miss this opportunity. I know what it feels like to be where Moses was at that day in a small way, of course. You don't want the people to leave. You don't want the spies to all fall apart on you. You don't want to look at 12 and now just have two. But my friends, it's worth it. It's worth it. What I want to ask you today is, do you want to possess the land or do you want to die in a desert? Before we go, just think about what they did for the next 40 years. Did they start worshiping Satan? No. Does my friend, the one I, I told you a story about, did he become a Satanist? No, he still goes to church. But he doesn't have in his life what I've had because I put Christ before friendship. Those pastors I talked to you about, are they worshiping saying, no, some of them are still in ministry. Just reset the marriage. Here's the second lady, I mean first lady. <laughs> you guys don't know about that, do you? My wife is the first lady. You get that in the church, they call her the first lady. They now have a second lady. Do you all get that? Because their first lady they divorced from. Okay, now you got it. We have a lot of non-church people here. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But that's what, that's what they do now. My one friend, if I was to put him on Facebook, when I saw him, this was just a few years ago, he picked me up from the airport. He had his secretary with him, and I was woke to this now after learning. I said to him, dude, what are you doing? You're married with five kids. Why is the intern, your secretary, in the car with you? He made up a bunch of lies, said his wife was cool with it, and actually let her live in the house. Guess what? He got her pregnant, divorced his wife. But now, but now after his tears... After his repentance on Facebook and social media, and if you were to meet him today, he's on point. 
Now, am I saying he can't go to heaven? No. Am I saying that he's not forgiven? No. But what you see in him now is a pride and a cockiness to make you think that what he's doing was what God's original plan was. And I'm here today to tell you, you can dress up the wilderness as much as you want. You can put lights in that tent. You can color that sand pink and purple all you want, but it's still not a promised land. And some of you, listen to me, instead of just being humble and teaching your kids, Papa messed up, Mama messed up, you're trying to paint a pig. You're trying to paint the wilderness and make it look like it was God's plan all along. And I forbid you from doing that here. We accept you in your divorce here. We accept you in your mess here. We love you. We forgive you. But you need to put a testimony on that and say, I've learned my lesson. Because some of these folks don't want to learn their lesson. And then they want to pretend, oh, I'm in the promised land just like Joe. Or I'm in the promised land just like you guys. I'm doing God's will. Look at me. No, it's not just like me. I'm going to be death to I part with that wife right there, my wife. Are you listening to me? I'm not going to have my kids have a baby mama. Are you listening to me? It's not the same. I don't care how much you say it's the same. We are not compromising here. We're preaching the gospel here. It is not the same. And so when you get to the promised land, because how many here now want to be like Joshua and Caleb? When you get to the promised land... Everybody could have been pretending during that time they were just like you. But when you get to the real deal, there is no faking that. There is no faking a 50th anniversary. There is no faking the anointing upon a generation that shakes nations. Are you listening? You can build a mega church and underneath it be a mega mess, but there's no faking a revival, okay? And so when you get to the real deal in your family and in your ministry, like Joshua and Caleb, you know what you'll be able to say? It took me a while. God had to let me walk around with some jokers for a while. But let me just tell you this. He was faithful in the promised land was worth it. I'm glad I didn't compromise and die back there. I might be 80 years old now. I might have had to wait a long time, but I see what the Lord has promised and it is good. Because many of us here don't have godly grandparents. We haven't come from that long of a line of Christianity. And my family, and in my family, my parents were the first to get saved. And so maybe they can be like a grandparent to you. Most of our church is under 35 millennials. And now my parents are old enough to be your grandparents. They're in their 70s. I want to tell you what my godly parents have said to me. All of their high school friends are just Facebook pictures now. Nowhere in their life. All of their co-workers, big deal bosses and all of that are nowhere in their life. All that they see now is a bunch of other gray-haired folks ready to die like them. And this is what they talk about what their life was. Oh, Jim, when I had my business, our business was so good, I sold used cars, and used car business was good. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, I used to do this. I used to do that. I used to do this. They're playing, they're playing golf, a bunch of gray-haired old people talking about what they did, what they did, what they did. When you're there, because we're all going to get there if we get to live long enough, what are you going to talk about? Your experience in the wilderness? Oh, yeah, I went to the conference every now and then. Oh, I went to Sabbath church. Oh, yeah, I liked it when Moses did this or Moses did that. Or are you going to talk about the promised land? 
You see, because when I'm that age, when I'm the grandpa and I'm the one that has to now pass on something, I don't just want to pass on a story of how I survived. I want to pass on a story about how I thrived. I want to be able to take my children. Come on up here, children, all my children. I want to be able to take my children down to 5405 West Diversity, and I want to say this is where it started. This is where the church got birth. When this group right here, when they're running things all over the country, when she's a missionary in Israel, when she's planting churches in Europe, when my brother here, young man, is in Africa, when they're all out there preaching the gospel, when she's a worship leader recording albums, I want to take them back to an old storefront church and say, this is where your daddy decided to receive a promise. And yeah, there were people that came and went, but your mama and I, we stuck with it. Here's the flame. Now run with it. Go. And I don't just want to tell them our story. I want to be able to point to the people right here and say, you remember the cruises, how they started off in a little apartment. God blessed his business. God blessed their ministry. Now they're the mother and father of nations. They have changed the world. It's about time that we get woke to what God is doing in us. Instead of just looking at our present circumstances and letting these trials and tests take away our courage. Like I said, I'm not angry at you. It's not personal against you. But I am in a personal relationship with Jesus. Me and this house got to serve the Lord. If you don't want to, I'm telling you, the train will keep going. It's not about you. It's about what we got to do for Jesus. We've got a plan that he gave us, and we got to keep it. And if I look to my side, and I only see one other Caleb there or one other Joshua there, I'll be happy with that. Are you listening? But I do want to take a church with me. I want to take a 100,000. I want to take a generation of world changers and history makers, people that weren't afraid to stand up for righteousness, people who saw Bevy and Edmund on the streets and said, that's my people. That's who I'm with. We tell the stories about how we overcame. And all those friends and, and leaders and spies along the way, they can tell our story because they will not have what we have. They'll have to tell our story. They'll say, oh, yeah, I used to go to that church. I, I used to go to that church. Yeah, they 10,000 now with preachers on every corner. Yeah, Planned Parenthood had to shut down. Were you there for that? No, I just left when things got hard. But I used to go to that church. I'm ready for people to say I'm here to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. You're seeing what it looks like. Vinny, would you come, please? Stand up here, kids. You're doing awesome. You see what it looks like when people believe in their movement. You see that liberal privilege right now. They get to throw stuff at police and don't get in trouble. They get to call whatever names they want to their opposition and don't lose their jobs. Maybe every now and then it happens. But listen, we might suffer for this for a little while. But if you read the Bible like the way I read the Bible, we're believing for a great outpouring before the coming of Christ. I believe in a victorious church that Christ comes back from. I don't believe we're half you know, dead, half alive, beaten up, black eyed, tongue sticking out. Rapture me, Jesus. Rescue me. You know, no, no, no. I see us with our swords pulled out, blazing fire coming out. Man, we're battling. And God says, take them out now, boys. Judgment. That's how we're going to glory. I'm not going knocked out. And he's like, revive them, angels. Get them up to heaven. Rapture. I believe in a victorious church. I believe in a church that lasts for generations. And so when you look at your children 
and you look at your loved ones, are they coming to the promised land with you? Do you have something in your heart that you want to see for them? Because for me, I'm doing this not only for me, I'm doing it for them because I want there to be a generational blessing. Thank you, guys. Can you give it up for, for the Ryrostic family? I love you guys. We love your families. Would you stand up with me, please, in an attitude of prayer? Band and altar workers, would you come? I want to pray through this message with you before we go. Number one, in an attitude of prayer, if you have not been saved, would you confess your sins in Jesus as Lord right now? And if you need help with someone to pray with you, they'll be up here for you. I'll formally dismiss in just a moment, and you can do that or you can do that now. Lord, I thank you for those who come to this church who need to have a relationship with you. As they confess their sins and confess you as Lord, save them. Those of you who are here and you would say, I'm already saved, have you been sanctified? Do you know that your sins have been cleansed? Are you holy? Are you a saint or an ain't? I ain't holy. I ain't this and that, man. I got too many problems. Come on, be a saint today, not an ain't. Raise up your hands and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Like the Israelites were cleansed and made a holy people. Be made holy today. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost and power, if you haven't had the experience yet, we teach it in extensively here. You can set up a time to do that this week. Or just right now, you can raise up your hand and say, Jesus, I want the power of the Holy Ghost. Fill me. We believe that's evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Once again, altar workers will be up here for you if you need prayer at any time. Come on, let's go through this quickly before we get to the promises. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? And then lastly, if this is your church, would you pray for the leadership? Would you pray for the wise instructors and judges here that they would judge, rule, uh, lead, instruct correctly, humbly, in accountability one to another, nothing hidden, nothing secret, nothing duplicit. Lord, we want to be your saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled leaders, God. We want to be organized. We want to be the wineskin that you can fill. Lord, don't pass by us, Lord. Don't pass by us, Jesus. Use us for your glory. And now if you've prayed through this message, would you just begin to confess those promises over your life and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Those of you who have not received promises, ask the Lord this week as you read the scripture and pray to give you promises. We need to have hope in this world. We need to have the faith to believe that things can change. Those come in the forms of promises. Promises for salvation of your family and friends and community. Promises for a nation to change. Promises for a political, uh, uh, bringing back Christ into our political arena. You know, all of these things are in the scriptures. If you don't have them, pray for them this week to come. But those of you who already have a handful of promises, lift them up to the Lord. And be honest with the Lord if there's any doubt in your heart, any fear, and ask Him to strengthen you. Oh, Lord, I know what it's like to be terrified. I know what it's like to be afraid, oh God, to wonder if I'm going to make it. But, Lord, you've kept your word. You've never let me down, oh God. And if I've seen you do it in the past, I know you'll do it again for all these future things that I'm hoping in and believing for, oh God. You called us to be fruitful and to multiply. You called us to be the head and not the tail. God, you've called us to disciple nations. You've called us to be blessed, to be a blessing. 
for our family to be saved. A few moments right now as we get ready to worship. We'll dismiss after the worship. If you want prayer, come on up. And then after we sing this old school chorus together, we'll end in prayer together and even more prayer time. But uh, let's just sing this out. I have decided to follow Jesus. Decide.